You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. This is episode 703 of the Dressage Radio Show, official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. On this week's USDF episode, we will talk about the USDF Handlers Clinic held at Hilltop Farm. Following that, we are hoping to inspire some listeners with an amateur spotlight. We've got a wonderful interview with Trafalgar Square author Andrea Kutch, and then the tip tonight will be with Ruth Hogan Paulson. This is Reese Koffler Stanfield from Loxahatchee, Florida. And this is Philip Parks from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Well, hello, Phil. Are you grumpy tonight? Because it's really Yeah, cold I'm up actually there. extremely like we go. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about me because Philip's okay. grumpy, everyone. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're, we're talking about when Phil's coming to visit me down here. <laughs> Yeah, we got so, se- uh, seven weeks, and and then I'll be there. Yeah, seven right. weeks. And I'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> and but meanwhile, we got real winter happening here. Oh. Uh, January was not too bad, but now it's like yeah, seriously cold and snowy, and and I haven't seen the sun in probably three weeks. I'm gonna send you. I'll Facetime you tomorrow. Don't worry. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's so. gonna be really hot tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. No. It, yeah, we're in full swing. I was actually just looking at the clock, and I was like. 12 hours ago, I had a riding lesson. <laughs> it's uh, been all dressage all day today, which has been great. Um, no, I, uh, yeah, I had a lesson with Scott Hassler this morning, my coach on two horses. And then uh, I prepped a bunch of horses to go to the horse show tomorrow. Like we are in full swing. And uh, that's actually a hot tip between when, when I'm here, Phil does a lot of the heavy lifting for the show. And in the summer I do the heavy lifting cause he's competing. But right now I'm just like, Phil, I'm so busy. You have to take care of things. So I appreciate you, Phil being in the cold. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not, it's not a problem. I mean, uh, as far as, you know, what's going on here, like, uh, my coach is down in Florida as well. So I think at, at the moment we're just trying to accomplish not a lot, but, but you know, like <laughs> stay warm. Just, That's huge. Yeah. It's stay warm. Try and get the horses exercised on the days. It's not like super freezing. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's about it. That's, that's what I can, you know, so I'm on the emails and, you know, what, you know, all those kinds of things. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's part of our ebb and flow now that we're yes. you know, 10 years in and, and that, <laughs> yeah, that's, we know how it works. We know what can yeah. happen. Well, it, it has been really busy down here uh, for sure. Um, I have, I have a lot of horses that I'm riding and in training and, and we've talked about it before, but I am doing a lot more jumpers, uh, partly cause they're my neighbors in Kentucky. And, uh, so that's been really fun. I actually went to the, the, the jumpers on Sunday night. I met a, a listener. So shout out. That was super fun. I always love it when people come in and look me up. You can always look me up on, uh, can email me or Facebook me. And, uh, I love to meet listeners. That was great. And uh, it was fun to watch the dumping because now I do a lot of work uh, with getting the horses in front of the leg and turning and bending. And you could really see in the jumper world why that is so incredibly important. 
So that was super fun. And we had Friday night lights, uh, which was great. It was great to see everybody. So yeah, things are in full swing now. Um, It's a week off this week for the big CDIs, which is always kind of nice to take a deep breath. And we have um, the White Fences Horse Show, which is, it's great. It's literally a mile from our house. Um, So that's really cool. So we're doing some showing tomorrow and this weekend. And uh, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, lots of things. There's a Kira Kirkland Symposium uh, next week. I'm going to try and get to. Uh, there was big news in dressage today that Debbie McDonald has been reinstated as uh, the high performance coach. So for the U.S., that was awesome news today coming from USCF. So lots of good stuff going on. There was a developing clinic here this week. Yeah, we're, we're in full full swing. I, I think I have seen all the saddle people, all the bridal people. It, it's just great. It's great energy. Uh, I, I will tell you, I've been sleeping incredibly well. I think by the time I'm ready for bed, <laughs> I am I am I am asleep before I hit the pillow. I've been trying to watch a Netflix documentary and I keep watching the same episode because <laughs> I'm like, oh, I think I got 10 minutes in this time. Uh, but no, it's it's all really good and it's been really fun. And um, yeah, that's 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 what I've got. Yeah, that's yeah. Great. Yeah. So busy, lots of lessons, right? lots of busy. Um, you know, that's the cool thing. And and you know, it's like. The other day here at the farm, uh, we had three trainers here. I mean, and, and it's fun. It's great energy. And to be able to kind of uh, watch other lessons and that kind of stuff, it's been really fun. So, yeah, it's been great. Well, we've got a great show coming up for you after this commercial break from Kentucky Performance Products. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. Did you know that easy keepers and horses on restricted diets are often at risk for vitamin and mineral deficiencies? Most easy keepers are maintained on hay, and some get a few handfuls of grain a day, and most of these horses get little to no green grass. Diets that don't include significant levels of green grass or recommended amounts of fortified concentrates just don't supply enough vitamins and minerals. Many horse folks don't realize that hay alone, even high quality green hay, is not an adequate source of many vitamins. For example, when grass is cut and dried for hay, the vitamins quickly lose their potency. 70% of the vitamin E found in grass is lost in the first week after it is cut for hay. One way to ensure that your special needs horse is getting all the vitamins and minerals he needs is to add a vitamin and mineral supplement to his diet. A well-balanced supplement will provide the nutrients your horse requires without adding unwanted calories, starches, and sugars. Microphase, made by Kentucky Performance Products, is a vitamin and trace mineral supplement that bridges the gap in your feeding program. With Microphase, your horse receives adequate and balanced vitamin and mineral nutrition without unwanted calories or other ingredients. The minerals in Microphase have been chelated, a process that protects minerals during digestion and increases their absorption in the intestine. Microphase provides vitamins, such as vitamin E, in a natural form, so your horse receives optimal results from this supplement. This Nutritional Minute has been brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. You can find all of their terrific products at kppusa.com. 
Founded in 1973, the United States Dressage Federation has become the largest organization to represent a single Olympic equestrian discipline. At nearly 30,000 members strong, USDF is your connection to dressage education, competition, and achievement. Visit usdf.org to learn more about USDF education, competition and award programs, and to shop our online store. Again, that's usdf.org, your online destination for dressage. Well, tonight we are thrilled to have Natalie DiBardinis. She is the managing director of Hilltop Farm, and she's on our USDF episode tonight to talk about the Handlers Clinic that's coming up. Welcome, Natalie. We're so happy to have you. Oh, thank you, Reese. Happy to be here. Very excited to be doing the Handlers Clinic again this spring. It's one of our favorite events to do at the farm. I love it. So tell us all about it because, uh, you know, I I did a little breeding, but it's not my main focus. So I always love to hear kind of what's going on in that world. So tell us more. Yeah. So it's a two-day clinic. Uh, this year it will be April 1st and 2nd, and it's geared towards developing handling skills. Um, hopefully for some of the handlers that are professionals or want to become professional handlers, uh, but also we've had amateurs who just want to develop some new skills skills to practice with their horses. Uh, we've had breeders who want to know more how they need to prep their horses at home for breed shows and inspections. So we get a wide range of participants that that attend each year. I think that's really great because, I mean, uh, up here in Canada, I think this is true, you know, in the U.S. as well. Is like, you know, there's a lot of small breeders, not physically small, but, you know, maybe they'll breed one or two mares a year mm-hmm. and and they want to be able to take take their horses out to you know inspections and, and and stuff like that and so they like to know how to better prepare their horses like you said it's true cuz so so much of what the experience is going to be for the horse how positive it is especially for young horses is going to depend on how they were prepped at home and how confident they are in the people handling them and you know particularly with the breed shows or inspections the handlers who are actually handling at those events may or may not have worked with that horse ahead of time. They might not have had the opportunity. So, so the work that the owners do at home really sets those horses up for, for a better experience all around. And I, you know, just as a, a promotion for the inspections or taking your horse, your young horse out, whether they're not even uh, a year old, you know, like they're kind of with their moms, like you, you can notice as somebody who, uh, trains young horses and and uh, is a purchaser of young horse. Like the more handled, the more experienced that 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 horse is, the easier transition when it goes to a trainer, uh, and then it goes to a first show. I mean, you can you know you can tell a difference in, in the confidence of the horse and in the in the confident handling of the horse that they've had these experiences, and and that to me I think is uh, super beneficial. You know, as as a buyer, absolutely, absolutely, and. And those opportunities are sometimes hard to come by, um, depending on where people live. It's a vast country. (laughs) And, you know, some areas have more opportunities for outings for young horses than others. But, um, you know, by breeders connecting with with other breeders around the country and um, kind of getting into the network, as you will, of, of breed society things and USDF events, it helps grow grow those opportunities in different areas. And I think lack of handlers has actually been one of the most challenging aspects of growing some of the young horse events. Um, and it's something we hear everywhere. Um, a lot of the 
longtime professional handlers have kind of hit the the stage in their career where they're more focused on riding or they're starting to back down on handling a little and and we don't have enough of a pipeline of new handlers coming up. So um, the USDF Sport Horse Committee has really been focused on that of trying to have these opportunities out there to keep developing hopefully some young professionals as well that will um, come out of this. And just, you know, thinking of back to last year's event, we had um, participants from New Mexico, from Texas, from Utah, of course, a heavy East Coast component. And we got to see some of those participants then go on to handle at breed inspections or handle at USDF Breeders' Championship finals in their area and do a really good job. And um, all the feedback we had was the event like this was a unique opportunity for them to practice and develop more skills going into it. No, I think it's a phenomenal event. Funny enough, my um, my background, my mother and my uncle are big in hunter breeding. So oh, when I yep. was younger, yeah, when I was younger, we did some of this. We did a lot of handling. My mom did most of the heavy lifting on it, but we, and, and it was really, really helpful kind of learning how to do it. I'm still not awesome at it. But it was a really, really important thing to do. And and when her babies, when my mom's babies went to the horse show, because we spent, she mostly spent so much time with them. Yeah, it was not my favorite thing. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I was like, my mom's like, this is how we pay for your showing. Get out there. Um, but it was so good because those babies really, when they went to the horse show, they were ready. And and she spent a lot of time handling. And that is really what it is. It's, it's a lot of time and energy, but also kind of having some guidance um, so that when, when the horses go, they are able to show off and, and, you know, not be terrified. So I think it's a phenomenal event. We think so. I mean, we've been kind of biased, but it's, it's been a lot of fun. Michael Bragdell, who's of course our head trainer here at Hilltop, he's been involved in the handling clinic. Most of the times it's happened, we keep roping him into it. He's when it's been at Hilltop, he helped with the um, young breeder seminar that the USDF sport horse committee did at Devon that focused on handling. It was specifically geared towards a little bit younger demographic, but we pulled in King Santa Cruz last year as well. And we've known King for years. He's a professional, of course, in Florida. And we actually bring him up to help us handle it, Devin too, because it, it takes more than, than one person. It takes more than just Michael. So right. <laughs> um, he was a great new addition too, because each handler is going to come at things a little bit differently. They're going to have a little different style, little um, differences in exercises they do in prep. And I think it's been fun to um, keep mixing up who's teaching the seminar because it gives participants, because we've had repeat participants, it gives them new opportunities as well and different perspectives. Absolutely. So Natalie, from a logistics standpoint, what would you need to bring to this symposium or this clinic? Ah, basically the same attire you'd take to a show, athletic shoes that you can run in. You need, you know, either khakis or like colored jeans or what a lot of the handlers wear, um, you know, a polo, a vest, something kind of neat and tidy, a helmet. Everybody has to have a helmet these days for handling. Yeah, uh, We recommend gloves. We Handle, they practice handling with a whip as well, but we have those at the farm. You don't have to bring those on an airplane or in your car, but <laughs> um, helmet, gloves, smart attire, and and athletic shoes that you can you can move in. You can run in. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. I'm out just because there's running. 
you know, involved. You may want to run a few laps. I'm just saying, you know, this is well, why I'm out. As, as much as Michael, I think, wanted to make everybody do sprints, we didn't have that happen. <laughs> and I will say we had a ver- variety of running levels. And and again, you know, we had everything from an amateurs who were practicing for the amateur hammer class or to develop some more skills with their young horses at home that that weren't necessarily looking to go show. But then we um, had young professionals as well who were who were already showing at different venues. So um, the great thing is we have a wide range of horses and the application asks a little bit about everybody's background. And this is a very handling intensive sort of event. You actually end up handling four different horses over the course of the two days. And thankfully we were able to mix and match the horses around to try and get the, the right horses with the right people. You know, if you're Five foot two, we're not going to put you with a 17 two hand horse on your first go round. You know, we're going to see <laughs> see a little how it goes. Uh, so you talked about the application. How can everybody find the information for the event? Ah, perfect. Um, so if you go on the USDF website, usdf.org, and go under the education tab, and then there's a link for sport horse education opportunities, and you'll find the handler clinic listed right on there. One other piece USDF adds in is they keep a running list of past participants who are still USDF members that they keep posted up there if people have done the clinic to try and help show what organizers or breed inspection organizers tap into some new handlers in their area as well. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Cause I think kind of having a mentor or have someone to talk to you is always such a nice thing, especially in, you know, a fairly niche type, you know, filled, filled us some handling, but that's not something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm I'm not really good at running. So I try to avoid (laughs) at all costs. Uh, But I mean, I think having somebody and having some resources is phenomenal. So I love that USDF is, is doing that. Well, Natalie, Mm -hmm. thank you so much for your time. What a cool event. Oh, you are very welcome. Thank you. Well, we look forward to having you on another time. (laughs) Sounds good. for tonight's Amateur Spotlight. We are so excited to have Jackie Ducci. She is a USDF gold medalist. Hi, Jackie. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Well, we're thrilled because you reached out to us. And as we always, we really do love listener emails and we just love stories. And and your story was amazing. Caught our eye. So we wanted to introduce you and, and have you on the show. So can you just tell us about yourself? Sure. So I have ridden horses forever. Um, I grew up eventing. um, That's most of my background and then kind of made the switch to dressage just several years ago. Um, But I'm also a working professional and do a lot outside of horses as well. So got a pretty full life. And I also moved to Wellington, Florida just a year ago. So loving being here in the middle of it all. Right. Well, that that's a, a big move. A lot of people are doing that. And when I'm driving back and forth, I'm thinking this is not a bad idea. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. I was All tired right. of well, the winters. That was really one of my major motivating factors. But yeah. Fair. Well, tell us a little bit about your riding history and, you know, kind of making that gold medal as a goal, because that's huge, right? There's not that many people that have that medal. Well, thank you for saying that. Yeah. And it, you know, I'm still a little bit in disbelief that I actually got it done because as of two and a half years ago, I had never ridden above third level. 
So it's been like a whirlwind these last couple of years and how it all sort of came together. But like I mentioned, so I grew up eventing and then just sort of rode recreationally in my 20s and early 30s. And then, I don't know, like somewhere mid 30s, I just sort of was like, I think I want to get more serious about dressage and just see what I can do. And I had this little PRE at the time who was not super fancy, but he was cute. And I started looking at him and I was like, I bet we can get this thing to go third level. So I sort of set my sights on a bronze medal. And before I knew it, you know, I had gotten my bronze medal on him. And then it became obvious he wasn't going to do anything more than that. He was really just a low level horse. So, you know, at that point, that was summer of 19, I think, 2019. And so I started looking for my next horse and I bought Tommy, who is amazing and (laughs) super safe, super wonderful, but not an easy horse to ride. He was very behind the leg and uh, very long in the body. So I bought him thinking, okay, we can probably get a silver accomplished, but nothing more than that. And the long story short is that in a couple of years, not only did we get our silver, but we also got our gold. And it was just sort of like one little step after the next. And we just blinked and we had it done. And it was just wild. I think, yeah, those kinds of horses are, you know, not a dime a dozen. And, uh, and, you know, it, it can take a lot of work to kind of motivate a, a big long horse, like you described to, uh, to be able to do, you know, to get to get engaged and, and, and to do, you know, the upper level movements. So I think mm-hmm. that would, you know, must've been a big project. It was. And, you know, like I said, I mean, I, I thought the silver was within reach. And then once that was done, it was like, I think having a trainer that really believed in the horse, my coach is Shannon Duick and she's absolutely amazing. And, you know, just hearing her say to me, no, if you really want to get this done, I think you can do it. And really just believing in me and believing in him. And it was just chipping away every day at the little pieces. And I think when you focus on the small goals like that before too long, you can do a lot more than you thought you could. Whereas if it was like, oh, we're just going to go for a gold medal, it it would have just seemed so, you know, impossible, (laughs) but breaking it down really helped. No, I think that that's right. And and in your email, there's like 1,800 people, right, in the U.S. that have a gold medal, right? I actually went and looked that up because a friend of yeah. mine said, you should go look that up because you'd be surprised how few people have done it. And it's yeah. really, I was shocked. And I think if you think about that 1,800, probably most of them are professionals, I would think. I mean, they don't break it out, amateur and, and open riders. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty cool to kind of see that number. Yeah, that's fantastic. So tell us uh, what's next. I mean, now you have a gold medal. So I think that's always <laughs> so cool when you reach that goal, but then you're like, okay, what do I do now? So what, what are you now? working on now? Yeah. 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 Well, so I think I've sort of reached the end of the line with Tommy, unfortunately, you know, he's older now. And I think I was really mm-hmm. kind of stretching to kind of get, you know, the gold medal done on him and it's time for him to take a step back. So probably leasing him uh, to someone else. And I recently bought a young horse who is only about third level right now, but he's much fancier um, without any experience. So I'm kind of waiting to see where that goes. It's almost like starting all over again, like a brand new project. Um, But I'm hopeful, you know, we'll be a good match for each other. And then down the road, I think he could be like CDI quality. Um, So that's like a whole different thing to get that's into a whole that. new ball of wax yeah, yeah it's a whole I mean, new thing yeah and, and yeah, that's it with horses sure. is like you know um they're not all suited to do 
five years at Grand Prix in the ring. I mean, you, you have to decide, you know, okay, I'm kind of maxed out here uh, and, mm-hmm. and start again. I mean, as a professional, that's I mean, constantly starting again and, and yeah. uh, you know, ha- having to, you know, learn on something, but also taking all of those lessons, they, they're still going to apply to the next horse, the next horse and the next horse. It's just, they're mm-hmm. going to be all new challenges. You know, as soon as you think, oh, you know, I've got this thing solved, uh, you know, as far as riding and, and, and training is, it's like, oh, no, <laughs> you don't. Right. So <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. it's, it's constantly humbling that, that that's the point I'm trying to make. It is definitely. And I think it's always so important to put your horse first too, and listen to your horse and just kind of know what they can do and what they can't do. And like, that was very hard for me because I'm very emotionally attached to this horse and to be able to say, you know what, like we accomplished some amazing things, but it's, you know, it's, this is sort of the end of the road in terms of what's comfortable for him. So I think that's really important too, is just being realistic and, and putting your horse first. And that's hard. Well, that is hard yeah. as a professional rider. That is hard. As, that's just hard to, to have a horse that you've put so much time and love and energy in. And I think I, I know a lot of people that are, that are doing that right now. You know, they had, had a horse and then, you know, they, they reached their goals or, or the horse got hurt or whatever. And mm-hmm. I do think it's hard. I mean, and it, it is a constant thing in this business and in this world of, you know, it's sort of like listening to your horse and, and sort of ending and, and, and giving that horse a different life, I think is always important. Uh, but it is hard mentally. You know, I, I, I get it. Cause I'm, I'm, I have a similar thing going on in my life and, um, it's, it's hard and it's hard to step back, but I think when you do it more in some ways, it's given me the ability to enjoy that ride even more, if that makes mm. sense. Cause That's once you, point you've had too. a few of them, yeah, you, you kind of know it's going to happen as your horse, as your horse is retiring or stepping down. If you, you know, um, had a certain horse at a certain level and and they're not able to do Grand Prix. I mean, that's so taxing on them. And Mm -hmm. the fair thing is to let them move down or go to a young rider or let someone else learn. Uh, But it is hard to let go of that dream. It is hard to let go of that. And then you are starting again with a new relationship. Um, (laughs) And that is, has other challenges too. Right. And it's fun, but sometimes it's a hard mental thing. Well, yeah. And it's hard not to compare them also. Mm-hmm. Like you have one relationship with one that you've worked with for so long. And, you know, like I said with Tommy to get this goal accomplished that I never thought that I would, it's like, there's always going to be that very special bond there. And so yes. then it's like, Oh, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> it's always exciting yeah, to have no. a new project, but then you're like, he'll do something <laughs> that's like annoying. And then I'm like, Oh, Tommy never did that. Yeah. So true. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but, but, but think about yeah. like how like if you, if you you know if you can lease them to somebody or or just get, give uh, someone else the opportunity to to love that horse and to appreciate that horse and I mean I think that's so it's it's so wonderful and and um, you know the more the more people that can appreciate the sport and appreciate a special horse I mean they they get a fan club going and and um, mm-hmm. you know the, the the love just increases you know and and the community increases. Definitely. And I think that's so important for us to all help each other as much as we can. And I think like horses that are safe are just worth their weight in gold, (laughs) you know, and I was lucky with the two that I had was, you know, once they were passed to the next person, um, you know, they were invaluable because they were able to teach them a lot. So I, you know, I was always mindful of, you know, trying to help other people come up the way that I did. I love it. 
Oh my gosh. Well, I love your story. It's so inspiring. And I think it's, it's a real, real version of what happens in this industry. And I think that that's really good. I mean, can you talk a little bit about just balancing? Like you said, you're, you have a busy life outside of horses. How do you sort of balance your horses and, and your life? You know, how do you do that? Cause that's always a question yeah. I want to know too. <laughs> sure. I mean, living here in Wellington has made it easy because, you know, I live so close to the barn too, but a lot of it is just time management and asking for help where you need it. Um, I'm fortunate in that the work that I do, I run a nonprofit and I do that from home. So I'm very mobile. So there are times where I'm literally at the barn and then I'm ducking into the clubhouse and taking a conference call and then going back out or whatever I have to do. Um, but it's really just being organized about my days and like having that checklist of what needs to get accomplished, courses and, you know, work, um, and then yeah. trying to have a social life on top of all of that. But um, <laughs> yeah, just being organized, I think, is the number one thing and, and trying to be as flexible as possible. Well, Jackie, thank you again so much for your time tonight. If our listeners have any questions and they want to reach out, how can they do that? Thanks. Um, my email is Jackie, J-A-C-K-I-E at h-aa.org. Um, so that would be the best way to find me or on Facebook. It's Jackie Ducci, D-U-C-C-I. Great. Well, Jackie, thank you so much and keep up the good work with your new horse. Thank you so much. Appreciate you guys. The podcast is North America's most listened to horse show inspired podcast with over 200 episodes hosted by me, Piper Clem, publisher of the Plaid Horse Magazine. Listen in to hear guests, which include Olympic equestrians, top hunter jumper and equitation riders, trainers, vets, farriers, horse show managers, and industry insiders discussing topics that matter, horsemanship, collegiate riding, the state of our sport, and horse show how-tos for riders at every level. One episode each month is devoted to the mental side of your ride with nationally recognized mental skills coach and author, Tanya Johnson. You will also hear insider stories about how the Plaid Horse Magazine comes together every month. Well, tonight we are so happy to have Andrea Kuch. She is the author from the horse's point of view. Andrea, welcome to the show. I'm so excited that you're having me. Thank you. <laughs> well, Andrea, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. About myself, like personally, or I'm a six-foot oh. blonde four-wheel drive. That's not what you're looking for. <laughs> I love it. Not what I'm asking. <laughs> tell us about yourself and your academy and your, your horse sport. Yeah, I grew up with horses. I trained horses all my life. And at some point, I figured it took many years, but I figured um, there should be a better way. And um, something, whatever you look for, if you go into horse whispering, natural horsemanship, traditional, classic, whatever, there's always a point um, with a horse where you enter a stage of Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. It's always a little bit of try and error. And most of the times people figure their way and then they do something with the horse, they want to train it. And um, it works with maybe 80% of the horses for them, but then there are 20% they're losing and then they are having a trouble causing problem horses. And um, that's where I thought if we find uh, a methodology that, coming from science, then we should have something in our hands, um, which is working with every horse all the time, 100%. And let's do it. So I founded a university in 2009. 
And as with the goal to develop an evidence-based training methodology for horses, which is coming from the horse's point of view and not from our point of view, how we design it. We use um, modern technology and everything what science has to offer in order to design a methodology which is totally calm and pro-horse and works for everybody all the time and everybody can learn it. So wh- where did you get your education? Is this, uh, is it in Germany or, you know, how, how, who are the people who helped you um, learn, you know, how, how to practice this? Actually, you know what? I, I um, worked pretty global. I worked with polo horses. That was Argentina, um, England. And then I worked with all kinds of horse whispers. That was all America, natural horsemanship. A lot in Germany, which was my whole, I grew up, born and raised in Germany. And um, that's my whole foundation, the whole classic, traditional English writing, let's say. And um, so that's actually my background. And in 2009, I was looking for, I had this idea, okay, we should, um, I studied marketing and communication, and we should find this um I was fascinated by the idea because um, of uh, merging into science because I found actually I got a letter. I was pretty known because I was I had my own TV shows in Germany already going on. My books were bestsellers and everything. So people ask me all the time for an opinion when something was going on with horses, when something went wrong. And then I was so fascinated because the university wrote me a letter and said, like, what you're doing is not nonviolent. We have what you're claiming, like certain um, gestures in the body language of the horses you're looking for when you're training and educating a horse. Actually, we found out that's stress and you cannot call this nonviolent at all. And it, it, it pressures the horse. It's like, it's like, um, you know, you're, you're not treating the horse right. And I was like, wow, if that's true, we have to change it because I was so convinced like everybody else, my way is the best way. And then, um, I reached out to the university and as I'm not from my background, an equestrian scientist or biology or, or veterinarian uh, scientist. So, um, they didn't want to work with me. I said like, Hey, come on, we do something. We do studies. And why don't we develop an evidence-based training methodology for horses. And then we would have something which we could share with everybody in the entire world. And we could make it like not saying you're doing this wrong. We can just say from the horse, that's good what you're doing. But from the horse's point of view, this is stress. From the horse's point of view, um, this is um, the horse is saying this and that. So like look into body language. Everybody said something about the body language of the horse, but it wasn't like really clear. You could hear rumors here and there and every. Everybody would state their opinion. And then they, you know what? The universities didn't want to work with me because of that lack of um, scientific background back in the day. And so then I thought like, okay, then I just found my own university and I just couldn't do it. And then I went around, I found investors and I got the University of Berlin to work with me, the University of Veterinarian Medicine in Zurich in Switzerland. And you know what? We got it started. And um, that was really exciting, especially because when I figured, okay, it was very romantic to have this idea to found a university. I mean, recognized by the government. Um, But when we started now, we were ready to go and do studies with horses. But then it was all of a sudden, okay, oh, oh, shoot, we need 
I mean, we need thousands of horses for this now. We didn't think of this from the get-go. And it was always like we're looking into science, but not where do we get the horses from to create the horse's point of view. And then I got together, I don't know if everybody's familiar with him, but there is a guy, he's called Paul Schockemöhle, and actually in dressage, in hunter jumping, jumping, he's very famous, and he's the biggest breeder in the world. And in his stud, which was only two hours away from my university campus, he had a stud with 4,000 horses. So they were breeding 850 folds a year. And I went, Paul, you have to help me feed horses. Yeah, and, and, and he, and he agreed and said, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's when we started. So tell us even more about the academy. What do you do, the classes, et cetera? Yeah, so um, it took us 10 years. And then we had a methodology which we designed, which anybody can learn. And um, the academy now um, is active in teaching the methodology. So everybody who wants to learn it can join live online training. So it's in two languages. It's in German and English. And in the evening hours, you would have, let's say, three nights um, for three hours. You would have face-to-face in a group online um, lectures. And then if you want to, you can also join practical phases where you can observe the uh, trainers using the methodology training horses. So it's a very, it's a great educational program and everybody can learn it. Whoever, um, it doesn't matter what level you're on. You can be a professional rider, you can be a professional trainer, but you can also just start from scratch because we have such new knowledge for the world, how we should train horses properly, that it's new for everybody. It's really exciting. So maybe you can um, give us a little bit of insight, you know, about how the new school or you know, way way of doing things is is different than the, than the old school. You know, something that you know we've learned just from you know passed down from trainer to trainer, but isn't quite right or or might be a misunderstanding. Yeah. So it's not that everybody has to. Um do it different now and say like, oh, what I'm doing is not right. We just give a confirmation what's right and what could be done better. So the biggest difference is we designed a catalog of every gesture of the horse. And we measured, let's say, pointing ears back, having a raising up the neck, holding the breath, at the same time moving and keep the tail in a certain angle or something, then it's a big question, okay, what's that horse saying? What's going, what's going on inside of the horse when he's expressing this kind of gesture? And, um, and, and it's very important to, because that's all the horse has to communicate with us, his body language. He has a couple of voices, noises he can do, but that's not important. But it's important what his body language is saying. And um, you need to be sure when you bring the horse into a certain training position, let's say you want to teach him um, to canter when you turn your right leg back or something, then that, from the horse's point of view, doesn't make any sense whatsoever. For him, all this doesn't make sense, what we're doing with them, but they can learn it. They are super smart. And um, let's say you want to do this and you put the leg back and all you, let's say the horse is getting scared, stops or shows certain gestures, then you want to know, okay, is this fear? 
is this anger? Is this aggression? Is this like he's in the game? It's forward and backward detention. He's just trying to figure it out. That is one of the core elements of EBC. We call it EBC, evidence-based equine communication. That's one of our core elements because that gives you the foundation where evidence kicks in, where you can see in the horse from the outside, okay, now the pulse rate is up. Now we have cortisol. Now we have adrenaline. If I keep pushing him now, kicking at him or whatever, or use my spurs or whips or whatever, then this is causing even more stress hormones and uh, transmitters to go into the organism. And that's now blocking the brain. So he will not get the message. You will, you maybe might do this for three months and maybe he gets it, but it's not competent. It's not like, okay, you, because they only need three to five repetitions in order to to understand what you want them to do. And so it's really, and they need to be super, super calm, need to feel super secure, and you have to be very clean, very focused. And then when you have that, that you can read in the body language how he looks neutral, calm, and is in his brain capacity fully into you, then you can apply the learning theories based on positive and negative reinforcement and everything. And so we turned this upside down because people think um, from their perspective, what punishment and reward and everything means, but from the horse's point of view, it's totally different. And so that is the whole idea. You bring together the body language, combine it with like, have a, have a very, very um, calm brain and combine it with the learning theories. And then you will have a super fast outcome because you know what we figured out? They are so intelligent. They are so smart. We are just too confusing, but they, they are really intelligent species. That sounds, uh, that sounds pretty amazing. I mean, we'd all like to, you know, have more clear communication I think less stress, less repetitions of of what we're doing, um, just making everybody's life easier. Absolutely. It makes it easier for yourself. And you know what? It makes it so much safer. And that's for kids a big thing or for every rider, there should not, I'm serious about that. We have evidence. I'm not talking because I make something up. We really seriously should not have any bucking, biting, kicking, um, whatever horse. It's not necessary. It's the human being who brings the horse into that position to respond to your request that way. And if you march it all down to almost zero, you know what's so interesting, then there's no misunderstanding and they're going to do it. They're going to do it for you. They have no interest in stress. It's against their nature. Uh, they have no interest in fighting or in, in, in fear. Their biggest intrinsic motivation is the absence of fear. And, and that is so important that people, it's, it's so hard to learn because people are used generally, generally to be tough with a horse, to hold it, to, you know, you act when it's already rearing. Now you might buy a book, okay, my rearing horse, what can I do against rearing? But rearing is like you already did so much that this horse has no other chance than rear. But it starts with 
an ear pointed back, with a muscle that goes into tension, with a breathing that gets tighter and everything, and with a stimulus which you as a human being presented. And you can work in this minor, minor communication. You do not have to go there. Everybody who learns CBC will never see a kicking, rearing, biking, bucket, bucking, biting, or whatever horse. That's not in their nature at all. Well, I, well, I think that sounds great. Yeah, for safety reasons and just for, you know, training. You know, we all want to, tra- you know, train a horse that's more agree, you know, that's agreeable, and you know, we're at their mercy when we when we get on and and we're on their back. So let's make that safe, more more safe, anyways. Exactly, and the horse has no interest in being in an unsafe position in the first place. You know, they do the same thing, and it makes you so happy. Everybody who learns EBC is just happy. We just call it we're smoking EBC joints because it's so cute. You know, the horses are like, you're so excited when you use it on a horse. So let's say a horse wouldn't go into a trailer or something. And it starts with where they stop. They just stop. All of a sudden, they see something. They point their ear forward. They have tension in their body. You pull on the lead rope or whatever you might do. And they say, oh, no, I can't do it. And when you come from that perspective of our understanding, like, oh, I hear you. Okay, that's interesting. What gives you the fear? You learn from these epigrams, which we developed, that makes the body language of the horse so readable. And we can see which stimulus it is, which is causing the fear response. And that could be the ramp the change of ground, um, the rooftop, the darkness in a trailer, or whatever it is. You can clearly see it on a horse. And when you then come back and say, like, oh, you see, I show you, this is only, now this is rubber. I know you don't know rubber yet. I mean, I'm talking now, <laughs> I'm a human being, but with the horse, you wouldn't talk because they don't understand our words. But then you have techniques. How do you show it? And then the horse would go like, oh, my God, that's what? Yeah, it's rubber, I tell you. And it's and it's super sweet. And this can be an Olympic winning horse. It doesn't matter. It can be a little pony or Olympic winning horse. They're all the same. It's a mammal. They have a, all the, of them, they have the same brain structure. And then you know, you, when you learn UBC, you understand how you t- to tell them. Uh, this is a rubber floor. We go in and out. And I know it feels weird. I know you wouldn't normally do it, but do it. And you're going to get a neat, ni- nice reward. And I'm going to be happy. And you're going to be happy. And they do it. You know what? They just do it. But if you go when you keep pulling the halter, the lead rope or whatever, at the same time now somebody gets angry, somebody starts yelling, somebody starts using a whip from behind or whatever, and the whole environment is now unsafe. They feel it. They have a reason to be fearful. And then they start fighting. And you, you don't have to go there. Just simply don't go there. We can teach people how to stay in this low, cute, super sweet area where you can have a conversation. And in stress and in fear, you cannot have a conversation, not with a mammal, not with a horse, and honestly, also not with a human being. Well, this this sounds great. So maybe you can uh, tell our listeners, you know, how to find your book or how to find you online. Yeah, it depends from where in the world you are, but you can find it with a Trafalgar. You can find it online and depends on in which country you are. And um, and I think everybody can have access to it. It's called uh, from, from the Horse's Point of View. And I just published a new one in German too, but that's not available in, in English. And um, that goes a little more in the next detail. Maybe we're going to have that in English available soon too. But um, yeah, and they can find our website 
We don't sell the books on the website, but if anybody wants to learn about the courses, it's andreakutacademy.com. So everybody can find it who wants to. And the upcoming year, we're going to have demonstrations on the biggest fair now in March at, on the Equitana in Essen. And then I'm going to be in Great Britain. I'm here in California. So people who want to join this and learn more about it and, and get a better understanding, um, they will find us. Just Google my name and it pops up right away. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. And we really appreciate your time. and. Uh, Good luck with the Academy. Yeah. Of course. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Well, tonight, I'm really excited for this weekly trainer tip. We have FEI rider, trainer, and Paralympic coach, Ruth Hogan-Polson. Welcome back, Ruth. Hi. It's so great to hear you. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for asking. So every year you are a freestyle designer and you, that you're also a freestyle designer, but you design for the CODA event and it's a quadrille. So first, can you tell everybody about the event? And then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what it means to do that. It's pretty cool. Yes. Uh, the CODA is the challenge of the Americas and it is a breast cancer benefit that is organized by a fantastic woman named Mary Ross. And we, I have been part of doing this, I think it's like 17 years now because, you know, everyone, everyone has been touched by breast cancer in some way. And it's a really wonderful benefit that's very close to my heart. Uh, so I always volunteer to be the coach, the choreographer, the music editor, and the costume designer for my fabulous team, which is Team Winged Foot, who's supported by Kathleen and John Dunnigan. So I am just at the beginning. I'm late. Every, we're late. We are very late. Um, I'm just at the beginning. We had our first ride through with my assigned team. The event itself is on March 10th, and it is held at the Global um, Aquan Global Festival Dressage Grounds. And you can get a ticket, you can get a VIP, there's a fabulous silent auction, all of which goes towards breast cancer. So it's an entertainment evening, and there's usually four or five teams, all Grand Prix, all professional, all, all the teams each have six riders and horses. And this year, I have six riders, two of which have been on my team before. And four of which have never done a quadrille. So we have done a walkthrough uh, without horses. And we did our first ride through. I guess you could call it that. Um, it's sort of like herding worms the first few times. <laughs> the horses have to get used to each other. They don't know where they're going. The angle's too steep. They're too fast. They're too slow. It's a mess. And... Every year after first practice, my husband says, how'd it go? And I go, just as bad as always. And, <laughs> then we yeah. and work and work. And then by the time we get to March 10th, you know, I don't really think the spectators can appreciate what a mess everybody's team really is. Because 
everybody always pulls it off and it's a glorious event to watch six horses and riders work a very intricate pattern working as a team working as a unit working with particular music it's got to be entertaining it's a crowd pleaser we have costumes it's just a lot of fun and I have made some of my very best friends working with Dakota. And one of the things that's so unique about it is that generally dressage is a sport that is individual with you and your horse against the ideal. But this is a team event and you, you really can appreciate dressage riders working together on a team. Uh, and they, they really, they have to take, everybody has to take their egos and their horses gates away a little bit because it doesn't matter how fancy we are or if we make a mistake in the flying change. It happens that the work as a cohesive, beautiful unit is what's important when you're doing a quadrille. So I'm very excited. Uh, we're team Wingfoot. It's always a fabulous event. And I encourage if you can't come, it's live streamed. And it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful evening of entertainment and really cool riding and costumes and everything else. Yeah. So it's maybe you can tell event. us what, what, what's the, what's the practice schedule like for, for you guys as a team? Like, you know, how many times a week, you know, what's, how, how are we going to bring it together, you know, for like in a month, yeah. basically. So that is always, I'm always scratching my head about that exact question. Our teams didn't get assigned until a little bit later this year. And I think I do things differently than some of the other teams. I want to know who I have before I start choreographing because it makes a difference of whether you have matched horses or big horses or, you know, you really, I like to know who my team is. So normally we schedule a walk through a strategic meeting first where we're just sitting and having dinner together and we're talking about what our theme is going to be and who's got what and what horses. But then we generally practice once a week until the last week or two. And then maybe I say we need to, well, I made a threat yesterday. I said, if we don't study this pattern and watch the videos and come back here next Tuesday, much better. We're practicing twice a week until that. So I don't know. <laughs> it, does, it does take a lot of time. And, the you know, I spend a lot of time on this project. But the riders, they have to pack, put their horse in the trailer, drive to my farm this time. But we move around, ride, get home. We don't, you know, nobody's done their regular schedule till 5. That means we're done at 6.30 after walking through it and then I have to drag the ring and, and it's a lot of time commitment. So I think I hope, I hope since I threatened them that if they don't get it, their act together and study, they're going to have to practice <laughs> twice a week until March. Um, that's about a lot of time anyway. So um, yeah, they're going to get it together, but the, you know, my newbies, they're wonderful, awesome international riders, but it's one thing to ride your own horse through a freestyle. It's another horse, Thing to ride uh, basically a freestyle in pattern with five other people. Right. It's a whole nother ball of wax. Right, right. No, it's hard, but it is such a cool event. And uh, Ruth, how can our listeners find more information about it? Well, I believe they do have a website. It's the challenge of the Americas.com. 
And there's certainly a very active Facebook page uh, under Challenge of the Americas, also known as COTA, C-O-T-A. Fantastic. Well, I hope everyone can watch and see all the work. It is so much work and it's amazing that you all, it, it really is a cool event for everybody and, and it's a favorite here in town for sure. For sure it is. Yeah. And it's always hard. Like, you know, we, we had a, a year off because of COVID and we literally in 2020 March, whatever it was, uh, was like the last event of everything. And when Coda came, when Corona came, um, and we happened yeah. to win that year. And then the following, when we, when we were allowed to start again last year, I'm like, oh my God, like, what am I going to do better? Like, how am I going to make this better? And what theme am I going to make? And what pattern am I going to choose? Like, it's really a struggle to try and outdo yourself every year. <laughs> I bet that I'm sure that I'm really sure. Well, Ruth, as always, thank you so much for coming on and we can't wait to talk to you more this year. Thank you, and I'll see you around. You got it, girl. Well, as always, everybody, we love email and Facebook shoutouts. Keep them coming. We love them. We try to incorporate them in as many uh, shows as we can. And uh, we're also really excited about our book club of the month uh, book. It is Arena Tracks by Christian Bayer. So grab your book at Trafalgar Square or horseandriderbooks.com. They're great supporter of our show. And this is a fantastic book, especially for this time of year where we all need some geometric work and you're going to really like it. I was just leafing through it and reading through it a little bit today. Well, as always, the United States Dressage Federation is your connection to dressage education, competition, and achievement. Visit usdf.org for more information. That's www.usdf.org, the online destination for dressage. You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com, and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. I think the best way to find me is probably through Facebook, or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors for allowing us to put on a good show. That's Kentucky Performance Products. If you'd like to support our show and the Horse Radio Network, you can do that through the auditor program found at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.